0: Acute angle closure glaucoma is an important ocular emergency that you need to be able to recognise and manage. It results from a rapid increase in intraocular pressure, which, left untreated, can lead to optic neuropathy and visual loss. What is the pathology underlying this condition, and how can we investigate and treat it in a primary or secondary care setting? Welcome to Plabable Pods for Docs. My name is Sophia.
1: And my name is Brandon. In this podcast series, we will be discussing all things ophthalmology. For visual aids on what we're going to talk about today, head over to our website at plabable.com for high yield revision notes and a question bank. Today, we will be discussing acute angle closure glaucoma. So grab your ophthalmoscopes and let's get started.
0: To begin let's just go over some of the key eye anatomy that we need to know about. So on a very basic level you can split the eye up into three fluid filled compartments. So you've got the anterior and posterior chamber which sit in front of the lens and these both contain an aqueous humour. And then the third chamber is the vitreous chamber which sits behind the lens and that contains vitreous humour. Now the main difference between these three compartments is that the anterior and posterior chamber both contain fluid that is continuously made and then disposed of. So it's made in the ciliary body, which is in the posterior chamber, and then drained in the anterior chamber at the canals of Schlem, which is a word that I absolutely love. On the other hand, you've got the vitreous chamber and in the vitreous chamber, the fluid is a fixed quantity It's not continuously made and drained, so the volume of that fluid shouldn't change over time. As a result, changes to the fluid production and drainage in the anterior or posterior chamber can cause changes in the pressure inside the eye, which we also call intraocular pressure. But how does this anatomy actually relate to glaucoma?
1: Okay, great question, Sophia. So I think it's important for us to define what glaucoma is and glaucoma essentially describes an increase in intraocular pressure and we can subclassify glaucoma as being either open angle or closed ankle glaucoma. Now sometimes people get a bit tripped up when we use these terms because they're not quite sure what angle we're referring to so allow me to clear that up. Essentially the angle that we're talking about is the angle that fits between the iris and And the cornea in the anterior chamber. Remember that this angle houses the trabecular meshwork and the canals of Schlem. So in acute angle closure glaucoma this angle becomes structurally obstructed and that prevents aqueous humor from draining out and that then leads to an increase in intraocular pressure. So Sophia, considering how this pathology comes about, do you mind telling us some of the risk factors that can lead to this?
0: So it's a really good question. As with everything in the human body, there's always going to be anatomical variation. And these variations can predispose individuals to developing something like acute angle closure glaucoma. To think of a couple of examples, if someone's got a very shallow anterior chamber and a large lens, then actually this can close the angle and predispose them to developing that condition. So by proxy, if you've got a family history of this condition, we would say that it is a risk factor because you can inherit these ocular anatomic features. Alongside family history, age is also a really key risk factor. The average age of presentation is about 60 years and uh, the prevalence after this age only increases. And we think this is because as you age, your lens size actually increases. Another risk factor is actually being female. Um, So there's a four to one ratio of women to men of people who get acute angle closure glaucoma. And the other main risk factor to consider is ethnicity. So we found that in people of Chinese and Southeast Asian and Eskimo populations, they're more prevalent to developing acute angle closure glaucoma. Whereas in black populations, it's not very common at all. So understanding the pathophysiology and understanding the risk factors is all very well and good. But Brandon, can you talk to us a bit about how we could go about recognizing this in in a patient?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the best ways we can do this is to have a look at a clinical scenario. So let's imagine that we have a 63-year-old Chinese woman who comes running into the accident and emergency complaining of a very painful left eye. She might say something like, a few minutes ago, when she sat down to watch the news, she developed a terrible headache and started vomiting. She might also say that she noticed that her vision became quite blurry and that the television sort of seemed to glow while she was looking at it. Now, when you see this type of scenario, you absolutely want to think of acute angle closure glaucoma. And I don't know if you've caught on to why, But Sophia, do you mind telling the listeners why a doctor should think about that?
0: Yeah, definitely. So if we just unpack all of the things that that were mentioned in that scenario, it would help us understand it a bit more. Anyone who presents with acute severe ocular pain with impaired vision should be considered to be acute angle closure glaucoma unless it's proven otherwise. So considering her demographics, she is over 60, she's a female, and she's uh, also Chinese, she's actually got lots of risk factors for the condition. Alongside that acute presentation, you need to rule out acute angle closure glaucoma before you move on with this patient. The other thing to consider from the scenario is that she said she developed headaches, uh, some nausea and vomiting due to the eye pain. And that is really characteristic of acute angle closure glaucoma. And the other key giveaway, which often comes up in exams, actually, is the idea of you getting halos around lights. This is a very characteristic symptom of angle closure glaucoma. Um, And in this scenario, she she described it as the television, you know, glowing. Some people describe headlights, like car headlights, getting halos around them in the dark. So that's something to look out for in exam questions.
1: Yeah, exactly. If I had to summarize it to someone who is trying to learn about glaucoma, I would say that if a patient comes in with a sudden painful loss of vision, you have to have acute angle closure glaucoma as a top differential. Remember, it's an ocular emergency, so if it's not recognized promptly, it could lead to permanent vision loss. So you you want to keep this at the top of your mind. Now, how about we move on to examination findings? So we've had this woman coming to the A&E with a very painful left eye and vision loss, and you've taken your history. What are you going to see on examination? So when you look at the eye, you might notice that the eye is quite red the eye might be watering and having a closer look at the pupil you might notice that the pupil is semi-dilated and fixed so what a normal pupil size is is about three millimeters so you can expect to see a pupil that is one slightly larger and two does not react as readily to light
0: i think The normal pressure is meant to be anything between 10 and 22, and the units we use is millimetres of mercury. So that's a normal pressure. Anything above this, you would consider to be a raised intraocular pressure. However, it actually can be really markedly raised in acute angle closure glaucoma. So you can be looking at numbers as high as 60 or 80 in these acute attacks. And there there are some different methods which we can use to measure this. And I think this varies depending on where you are. Do you wanna cover those, Brandon?
1: I'll be happy to Sophia. So how we measure the pressure is actually going to be determined by where we are. The gold standard for measuring intraocular pressure is used by ophthalmologists and it's known as Goldman Applanation Tonometry. However, it's going to be very hard to find that type of equipment in in the E setting, as it is actually quite an expensive and quite a specialized piece of equipment. So, there are alternatives that are available to you in the ANE, such as the use of rebound tonometry. Essentially, rebound tonometry uses a small plastic probe that gently bounces off the cornea to measure the pressure within the eye. It's a small handheld device, they're quite readily available, and that's something that you are much more likely to see in the a e setting.
0: I believe there's some other investigations that you can use as well to help you out in these kind of scenarios. And the other two that I would probably think about are fundoscopy and then also a slit lamp examination. So fundoscopy can be used to visualise the optic disc. And more specifically, we're looking for the optic disc to cup ratio. A normal ratio is anything around 0.3, where the cup is smaller than the optic disc. However, when you've got raised intraocular pressure, if you're looking in the eye with a fundoscope, the cup can actually increase in size relative to the disc. And this is known as cupping. And that can be indicative of this pressure going up without actually measuring the pressure directly. Slit lamps can also be used, and you can find them in some pretty well-provisioned A&Es, and if if you're confident about using them, I know not everyone is, you can actually use that to also look at the the disc-to-cup ratio, as well as looking at the anterior chamber itself and the fluid within it. The very basic thing you could do is you can also palpate the eye obviously with a gloved finger and this would be a very tender experience for the patient and it would feel markedly hard however it's very unlikely a patient's going to let you do that um, when they're in such, uh, such levels of discomfort. So that's kind of your last resort I think in that scenario.
1: So, in the treatment of acute angle closure glaucoma, time is of the essence. You want to promptly identify the condition, and you want to refer that patient off to be seen by a specialist ophthalmologist, but you also want to begin treatment, as that could be the difference between saving someone's vision or not. Sophia, do you mind telling us a bit about the treatment that we should start?
0: Yeah, so in our scenario, the patient is first encountered in a primary care environment. We're going to cover what to do depending on whether they present in, say, a GP or if they present um, in A&E. So in cases like this where the patient does present to GP, there may end up being some time between when they first present and then when they get eventually seen by an ophthalmologist. And given that time, as we just said, is of the essence, there's some things that you can do in the GP setting to stabilise the eye and limit damage where possible. So the first thing to do is really simple. You can lie the patient flat. And what this does is this basically uses gravity to relieve the pressure of the iris on the trabecular meshwork. So essentially, you're using gravity to just open up that angle a little bit to help the drainage. And then the next thing you can do is give some medication. So the first eye drops that you can give are something called pilocarpine and use different percentages depending on whether or not the patient has blue eyes or brown eyes. So if they've got blue eyes, you can give a 2% solution, whereas in brown eyes, you give a 4% solution. Pilocarpine works as a cholinergic agent. And as we know what that does is it drives the parasympathetic response in the eye and it drives pupillary constriction. It makes your pupil smaller, opens up the angle and allows drainage of the aqueous humour. Another compound that you can give is something called oral acetazolamide. The trade name for this is Diamox. You can give them a 500 milligram dose of this drug and it works as a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor and this works by decreasing the production of the aqueous humour in the posterior chamber at the ciliary body. So you're kind of hitting it uh, with a you know, two-pronged sword. You're improving the drainage and decreasing the production of the humour to lower the pressure. Um, the patient's likely to be pretty uncomfortable at this point as well. So make sure you give them some sort of analgesia and maybe some antiemetics if they're being sick as well. Whilst you're doing all this, you need to sort out their referral for immediate ophthalmology attention um, and emergency treatment. I think Brandon if you could cover now what you could do maybe in a secondary care setting like A&E.
1: Yeah no problem. So the management in AE is quite similar to that that would happen in a GP setting except that we have a few more options in terms of medications that we can use. So we'd want to once again lay the patient flat and then we'd want to administer eye drops that begin to lower intraocular pressure. Now, Sophia, you've already mentioned the use of pilocarpine, but there are other compounds in the ANE setting. One popular compound is known as timolol, which is a beta blocker, and this actually works by decreasing the amount of aqueous humor that is produced. Now, while we're on the topic of timolol, I do want to say here that you have to be cautious when using this medication, as it can have a similar effect as oral beta blockers would have. And this is particularly important when you think about asthmatics, as you wouldn't want to cause an acute asthma attack. So it's very important that you get a proper medical history before starting this type of medication. Another medication we can use is known as aproclonidine, which of course is another type of eye drop. And this type of medication is a sympathomimetic. It works by one, improving the drainage of aqueous humor, but it also slows down the production of that fluid. So as you mentioned earlier, you are tackling the disease of glaucoma in a two-pronged fashion. Another medication that you had mentioned Sophia was Azetazolamide. However, in the GP setting, you will probably only find it in an oral form. Whereas in the accident and emergency, you can find IV preparations of this. And the benefit here, of course, is that you can expect to have faster onset times. And finally, just to touch a little bit on definitive management, there is a procedure known as peripheral iridotomy, where essentially you make a hole in the iris and this creates an alternative route for fluid clearance and that allows all the aqueous humor to be drained off and that's going to relieve the pressure. Now, this is not going to be done in the a setting and would be carried out by a trained ophthalmologist. I
0: think the key message to take home here is to act fast and realize that the definitive management of this condition is uh, something that can really only be carried out by a specialist so you can do the management that we've gone over you know the various drops and medications that you can give the patient just to tick them over until they can get this definitive surgery So I think, I think that covers everything that we wanted to go over today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We really hope it was useful. If you want to test your application of this knowledge, do head to our website at plabable.com for the extensive question bank we've got on there. And we look forward to seeing you next time.